Well, hey, so glad to have you on our, uh, what, what is now our 16th Christmas service between all of our campuses. And so, so glad that you guys are with us. Um, want to give you a couple housekeeping items as we jump into tonight's Christmas message. Uh, the first is this, at all of our seats, you would have received there a Christmas survey card. Um, we invite you to, to fill this out at the end. This is a tradition of ours. We do this survey at Christmas and at Easter. And we invite you to fill this out. Everybody is an A, a B, a C, or a D. Super simple. Well, is there multiple choice? No, it, you're just one of them. It's okay. It's going to make it as easy as possible. You didn't know you're coming to church, having to take a test. It's okay. You're going you're gonna to pass. I promise. Um, but also, if, if you'd like more information, uh, you, you don't have to just fill it out anonymously. Anonymously, You can put an email address or, or cell phone optional. And uh, a prayer need. If you've got a prayer need, please write that down. We don't think anybody should be praying alone over anything. And so we'll pray over every single card, a few thousand. In fact, uh, a little over 4,000 people have already attended all of our Christmas services. So we've got a lot of praying to do. But it is a joy to be able to serve you uh, in that capacity. Also, uh, your message uh, guide right here on the back there's some fill in the blanks uh, you don't have to but feel free to fill that out or you can go to timber creek church on the app store and you can download our app and fill in the blanks right there and get more information and uh, up to you no pressure we're just glad that you're here and we want to connect you uh, you know christmas there was a reason it was the 12 days of christmas my true love gave to me um, because usually we would just celebrate Christmas over a very short time. Now it's like the 77 days of Christmas. I think that Hobby Lobby was setting up Christmas trees the week after Easter. Like that's how quickly we get into the Christmas season these days. And with everything going on, with, with dinner in the ovens and, and with uh, last-minute Christmas shopping and with uh, long lines and with uh, groceries to buy and expenses that are piling up and people to take care of and, and family coming into town, something I know is true for my Christmas, and I know it's true for yours, is many times Christmas is complicated. In, in fact, everybody at both locations, say it with me out loud. Christmas is complicated. Yeah. Family dynamics at play when some family haven't been in close proximity and now they're back. And last Christmas, it got a little weird with the brother and the dad and you name it. And they were this and it's not, no, he's not going to get impeached. Well, he did get impeached. Well, it's not even for real. Save the whales. I hate whales. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. There's like complications going on uh, around family. Christmas is complicated. And I think it's part of why we love all the Christmas movies during this time, because of the conflict, because we know uh, conflict is going to be no matter what season of the year. And so you, you start watching some of these classics, like, for example, The Grinch. Um, the Grinch hates Christmas, the entire Christmas season. Don't ask me why. Nobody really knows the reason. It could be that it's... Shoes are too tight or that his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think the most important reason of all is that his heart was two sizes too small. Over on the Turner Movie Classics channel, you've got Mr. Potter trying to do a wheel and deal on George Bailey and take over the Bailey building and loan. And if you turn the channel a few more channels up, you'll find the Hallmark channel with 7,422 hours of nonstop Christmas movie magic. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but I do want to tell you, it's 75 different movies with the exact same plot. Um, and for those of you that haven't had a chance, let me just fill you in real quick. Um, a career woman who's too busy for love, <laughs> too busy with her work, dating an ad exec in New York who's a little bah humbug, and to be honest, like she could do so much better. 
her family owns a little business in a small town in Vermont and they're going through some struggle and she's got some vacations stacked up and so she goes down and she helps the family business and she goes to the hardware store and she bumps into a very eligible bachelor wearing black and red flannel. <laughs> he helps load her truck up with some paint and he talks to her about the true meaning of the season. Later on, they ice skate and then they go set up a Christmas tree. She falls off the ladder, lands in his arms. It snows, they kiss, there's a dog, you're welcome. That's Hallmark Christmas Movie Channel right there. Yes. Of course, you keep turning the channel and Ralphie's gonna shoot his eye out with a BB gun. Buddy is just trying to kindle a relationship with his absentee father. Buzz is upset with his flimwad brother, Kevin, for being in his room and he's gonna feed him to a tarantula. And then every family's got a cousin Eddie that wears out their welcome, not only in the living room, but also in the neighborhood. And if you're saying to yourself, I don't have a cousin Eddie, you're the Eddie. You're Eddie. What I'm trying to say is Christmas is complicated. But I, I don't want to spend the time we have together talking about 2019 Christmas complications. I actually want to reverse the tape. Let's take it all the way back a couple thousand years to the OCC. The OCC, yeah, you know me. And I'm talking about the OCC, the original complicated Christmas. There's all, all kinds of crazy complications, even though there's only a few scriptures that unravel this Christmas story that we read every year in a couple of the Gospels, the first books of the Bible in the New Testament. Even though there's, only, there's not really very many scriptures, it is chock full of complications, chock full of, of, of issues and Family dynamics and close proximity and, and, and dysfunction and messiness. And here, if you're taking notes on your, on your bulletin, you can write some of these down. Here's just a few. Um, when, you, when you look behind the curtain of the original complicated Christmas, you see complicated conversations. You back up from the birth of Christ back up nine months B.C., and a 14-year-old goes into a room, getting ready to get in bed, finishes her little Snapchat, and, hey, Mary, ah! the Bible says she was terrified. The angel didn't, like, knock, hey, I'm about ready to come in, I'm glowing, I'm crazy, just brace yourself. It's just like, hi. I've got a new Amazon Echo video thing in our, in our room, and uh, you can... Um, Drop in on Amazon Alexa. I don't know if you're all be doing that. Government's going to be all done. Um, okay. There's not much happening in our home. Government's not going to find out anything crazy, okay? And you can drop in. So the other day, I dropped in. Janet was in our room, and she was sitting on the floor in front of a mirror and do, doing her makeup. And I dropped in, and just, it turns on the video. It's a little scary. I said, Janet. <laughs> she went, dear Lord, what, where are you? This is God. It sounds a lot like your husband, thus saith. Now, jumped in, scared her. Think about this 14-year-old girl, Mary, visited by an angel. And think about not just scaring your, your spouse, but having news that is going to radically transform the rest of your life as you know it. You found favor. I found favor? I, I won something? Yeah, you get to carry the son of the living God and you're a virgin. I'm a virgin. I don't even think that's possible. No, that's what's going to happen. Mary's like, no way. And the angel's like, Yahweh. Literally. That's a bad, it's a pastor joke, sorry. I'm all, but I'm all get the, I'm all squeeze the life out of that one during Christmas season. Um, sure enough, she has to have a complicated conversation. I mean, if I'm Mary, I'm saying, okay, I hear all that. 
but can you walk downstairs with me to the living room? My dad's reading the paper, and I want you to tell him what you just told me. But no, the angel's like, I'm out. And she has to walk through the complication of convincing her husband, who was going to leave her had it not been for Jesus, God, visiting him in a dream through an angel saying, hey, it's okay, trust me, trust me. Sometimes we got to slow down enough to where we can just listen to God say, hey, trust me. Things are complicated. Trust me. So she has to tell a fiance, a father, her friends. It doesn't stop there. Then you got complicated circumstances. Fast forward the clock now back to B.C., like zero B.C., like the day Jesus is born. And Mary and Joseph have traveled by 65 miles by donkey back. And it's not because they're just going to visit family. There's no e-file. There is no H&R block. There's no online census taking. They've got to go to the hometown of her husband and fill out the census so they can be accounted for and pay the right taxes. And Mary is ultra pregnant. Not just pregnant. Ultra (laughs) pregnant. She's like the kind of pregnant, give me the ice chips. I can't believe you, you did this to me. And Joseph's like, I didn't do this to you, remember? On top of that, God had the entire universe of time to give them a reservation at the local Holiday Inn, but there is no room, so they have to settle for the back 40, what we call a barn, but really would be more like a cave dug out of the side of a hillside with animals out of the elements, ankle deep in animal manure. And if you think that that doesn't get that, if that's not where it stops getting complicated, you add on to it something that the Bible calls prophecies, complicated prophecies. We, we would call them predictions, but prophecies are like divine, given by, by God, a prediction that will happen in the future. And the baby Mary is carrying in her womb, Scripture has said 300 different times over the course of several hundred years that the Messiah, the anointed one, is going to have to look this way and do that and be from here and say that and accomplish this and die this way and be born this way. It is like, it's like God calling his shot eight ball corner pocket. Why do you call the shot? So that the people you're around know it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't a lucky shot. You call it and that's what God is doing with all these complicated, unbelievable, and quite frankly, impossible to do without the hand of God on top of it. It is like a Michael Jordan, Larry Bird commercial where it bounces off the scoreboard, over the rafters, into the bleachers, off, off of the chandelier, nothing but net kind of prophecy. We see all kinds of things. And it wasn't simple like, oh, he's going to have red hair and, and a tattoo that looks like the Ark of the Covenant. Like it, it was way detailed. In fact, think about his birth certificate alone. Several different scriptures had him coming from several different places, which complicates things. I was born in Independence, Missouri, on the outskirts of Kansas City. You have a city in your birth certificate. But, but Jesus had to have four cities connected to his birth certificate. There was going to be an international destination of, of world renown, a beautiful, huge metropolis city. There was going to be a city that he would be from. People would say, no, that's, that's where he's from, but it wouldn't be the place he'd be born. There was going to be a city that weeps after he's born. What is that about? There's going to have to be weeping in a city? 
And then the one that we're most comfortable with and most knowledgeable of is the one he's actually, the, you know, the place of his actual birth, Bethlehem. And so all these complicated conversations and circumstances and predictions, and you put that inside the crock pot and you surround it with something even more unbelievable. There is calculated opposition. Powerful forces are hell-bent on trying to keep this baby from coming. They're trying to stop Christmas. They're trying to kill Christmas. It's hard to do something complicated when it's just you. But when you have enemies against you, it exponentially heats this thing up. In fact, that most powerful man in the countryside, he was in a kingdom, he was in a palace, and God had spoken to other rulers, other wise men from other nations, and they had taken a long journey, and they assumed, they assumed like you and I would assume, if a king's going to be born, he's going to be born in the palace. And so they show up to the palace, and they talk to the king, and they say, hey, we heard there's a, a baby born, king of the Jews. And, and, and this king says, say, what? Uh, what? Like, wait a second, I'm the king, there is no other baby supposed to be born. And so what happens is the, the, the king says, well, you go find him. And then when you find him, let, let me know. I want to send him like a care package and some bath bombs and some stuff. No, he's, he's protective of what he has built. And so we pick up that story in Matthew chapter 2. And here's what we read. I'm just going to warn you. This is not your typical Christmas scripture, but we're going somewhere. Here's what it says. Now, when they, the wise men, they had, they had gone to Jesus, they had given him gold, frankincense, and merlot, myrrh, myrrh. They had left, when they had left, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Arise, the angel says, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So when he arose, Joseph took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Now, and was there until death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, complicated prediction, complicated prophecy, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. So not only was he born in Bethlehem, but this is the international destination. Now, when Herod heard that he was deceived by the wise men, so they didn't go back and tell him he's over in Bethlehem. They, they went a different route. They didn't want to tell the king because they knew, oh, that guy's out to harm them. When Herod found out he was deceived, he was exceedingly angry. He's ticked off, one of the versions say, the, the Jeremy version. <laughs> and so he sent forth, Herod sent forth, and he put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under. By doing that, he fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, that's our other city, lamentation, weeping, and a great morning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. A lunatic king dispatches assassin soldiers across the countryside to commit mass infanticide, and he's the king trying to hang on to his throne. You should, you should see your faces right now. Merry Christmas Eve, everybody. Okay, we need to, let's take a time out. Okay, let me, let me, just, let me just take a time out. Okay, let me, let me just kind of get down. 
I know that sounds like a deleted scene from some kind of Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones series. Um, It seems like it's really complicated and dirty and dark. Why is it? Because there is this space between the ideal and the real in your life. And Jesus is showing this to us. That there are times in life where God is good, but we don't feel very good. And we want to trust, but there's some grief and some wounds and some hurts and some tragedy and some mess. And we're trying to make sense of all the complications. I want you to know, this doesn't sound very Christmassy right now. But hang on. Because even though we all walk through a valley of the shadow of death a time or two or 12, there is hope here. There is goodness here. God has a plan. We just got to get through some of this conflict and some of this dirt and some of this grime to get to the good plan. So stick with it. We're going we're gonna to get there. Okay, time in. Here we go. Let's go back. So here what we have is two simple plans. A complicated Christmas and two simple plans. The first simple plan is Herod's plan. And Herod's plan is not a five-pronged strategy to be unleashed during three different seasons of his reign. It's a one strategy, one strategy only, the death of Jesus. That's what he's going to try and do. Herod is going to try and kill Jesus. Put an end to Christmas. Don't even keep, keep Christmas from coming. Why? Because Herod's on a power trip. Herod's nickname is Herod the Great. Now, he's not great because he was head and shoulders above the rest like George Washington or like in the Bible, King Saul is described of being shoulders above the rest of the military men in all of Israel. Herod the Great actually was known to be very short, less than five feet tall. But what he lacked in stature, he dominated in bloodthirsty, murderous rage. He was also known as the king of the Jews. So that should trigger something that that if he's known as the king of the Jews... Somebody else is going to be known to that title in a few years, three and a half decades later. Jesus is going to be hung on a cross just outside of Jerusalem, just outside that palace. And above that cross is going to be in three different languages. Here is the king of the Jews. And so Herod, he says, like the kids on the bus with Forrest Gump, seats taken. Nobody else is going to have the seat I'm the ruler here. This is my throne. You're going to have to pry it out of my hands. Nobody's going to usurp my authority. And he lives his life proving that. He kills his two oldest sons, who he feels are trying to rush him off the throne. They're trying to take over the kingdom business, and he has them killed. He has 10 10 wives, kills his his favorite wife, Miriam, kills her. Now, now, I don't know how you can make, it's hard for me to make one wife happy let alone 10. I think that's why they named him Herod the Great. <laughs> they killed, they, he killed, his, he killed his, uh, uh, his wife and her brother because he thought they were going to form a coup d'etat. He, he killed his mother-in-law, which, you know, boys, boys will be boys, okay? Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, who really gave Herod his title to begin with, Herod was just a puppet king, but Caesar was uh, uh, written down as quoted by saying this, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. And we're talking about a ruthless man. But see, this whole attack of the enemy wasn't something new to Herod. 
This had been going on ever since the very beginning of time with the very first humans that God breathed into dust, took a rib, formed woman. And these very first two humans, we have been dealing with opposition, calculated opposition. The serpent shows up in the garden and says, hey, I know that you're kind of surrendered to God, but you, you could actually sit on your own throne. You could sit on a throne. You could be as smart as God, as wise as God. And sure enough, they take the bait and they eat, they both eat the apple and they find out, whoa, I shouldn't have done that. They're vulnerable, they're naked, they hide from God. And God doesn't trounce, traipse through the garden all mad, yelling at the top of his lungs, looking for them, get out of here. Can't believe you did it. He comes in, hey, where are you? Come out. They come out in their nakedness. They've covered themselves with leaves and, and he doesn't slap them in the face with a belt, he says, hey, who told you you were naked? What's going on? And they had sinned. They had, they had wanted to be their own God. They had wanted to be in charge. And that's what sin does. When we say, God, I want to do your job. I want to be my own ruler. We sin. We fall short of what God has for us. And the only way that we get that covered, God shows us in the garden. He says, okay, you're going to have to die. But instead of killing you, he takes an animal and he kills the animal. And he says, this is a sacrifice in your place. And every time you sin and you fall short, something has to die. And it started a chain reaction, history of sacrificing lambs. The high priest and would, would sacrifice the goat, sacrifice the lamb in order to pay for their sins. And there's consequences. God has consequences. says, I'm going to cover you. I'm going to give you a fresh start, but you got to leave the garden. And he gives us one of those complicated predictions, complicated prophecies right there. It's like the very first hint of Christmas in the very first book of the Bible. As they're about to leave, God says to the serpent, God says to the devil, he says, hey, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity is active hostility, like nonstop warfare, nonstop tension, nonstop chasing after, seeking to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the serpent's going to do to the woman, in other words, humanity that's going to come from Eve. And between your seed and her seed. It's, notice it's her seed, it's not the man's seed. All throughout the Bible it talks about the man who begat this and begat that. But because this is going to be a virgin birth, that this is a signal to the birth of Christ, her seed. And he goes on to say this, he says, hey, serpent, you're going to strike his heel, but he... The soon incoming, the head crusher, he's going to crush your head. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, that's the hint. Jesus is someday going to crush your head. And that's exactly what happened at the crucifixion. Striking our heel, try to get at us. But ultimately, Jesus is going to crush the head of the enemy. Going to deal with a snake away. A snake ought to be dealt with with Jesus' snake boots on. Sure enough, this is the beginning of the animosity. This is the, the of, of, of the, of the, of the enmity, hostility between us and the enemy who's out to devour you and me. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I get random phone calls from people telemarketing. Anybody got that on their cell phone still? Still trying to figure out, bless the Lord, I gotta get saved every time. I'm also getting text messages now. Can you, I got a text message the other day, it said this, today only, December 8th, a gift for you to fill and give, one free 12-day gift box, limited quantity, in-store only coupon, and it showed the coupon, and you can click on it and, get whatever from wherever. Um, that's a random phone number, random text from that phone number. Think about this though. What if you got a random text tonight and that random text looked like these emojis? 
Skull, crossbones, devil, kill, dead. You could either ignore that or block the number, or you may respond the way I respond. You would say, new phone, who dis? <laughs> now, what if, they came back, what if they came back with this text? What, what if this happened, this text? Hey, this Thursday, I'm going to crush your head. Well, you may say, lose my number, fool. You, you may try and figure out whose number this is. Are they pulling a prank on me? But if you don't know who it is and you take it seriously, probably on Thursday or from now until Thursday, you're going to be watching your back. You're going to be looking. That's exactly what the enemy has been doing since the Garden of Eden. He's been watching his back because God said a head crusher's coming. I'm going to send you a text message right now, right in the garden. I'm going to crush your head. You better watch out. You better not cry. <laughs> that's, that's not that. And sure enough, sure enough, the enemy knows that the head crusher is going to come out of Israel. So what does he do one day? One day he puts a, deposits an idea in Pharaoh's mind who's been building pyramids and sphinx and building up Egypt. But then he decides, oh, all these slaves that are building all this for me, I don't like them. They're getting too random. They're getting too many. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to put them all to death. In fact, I'm going to kill all their babies. Sound familiar? Why is that? Because the enemy doesn't want the head crusher to come. And if he can wipe out the tribe of Israel, the predictions won't come true. Later on, it's not just the tribe of Israel or the Israelites, it's the tribe of Judah and it's the line of David. It's gonna come from, the Messiah is gonna come from King David. So what does he do? One day King Saul just gets so sick and tired of David winning all these battles and being all awesome and, and conquering all these things and playing his banjo and helping him fall asleep. And so Saul gets hell-bent just like Herod and is gonna try and wipe out David. Why? Because if the enemy can get David wiped out, the head crusher won't come. The whole book of Esther is a story about a queen who gains favor with the king, who the king has a guy named Haman who wants to wipe out the Jewish population because the enemy wants to keep the head crusher from coming. You fast forward all the way into the New Testament to the last book of the Bible, this mystery book of, of complicated predictions and prophecy, and there's still, still predictions about not just the first coming of Christmas, but the second coming of Jesus. And you can read about this whole animosity thing. This is a wonderful Christmas scripture. And the dragon crouched before the woman who was about to give birth, poised to devour the baby the moment it was born. God blesses everyone. Use that one in your Christmas card next year. This is not a novel idea to wipe out the Jewish people by Adolf Hitler. This is not a, this is not a novel thing that the, all the Middle East is against Israel. Why? Because there's something powerful in the word of God that's complicated predictions and prophecies, but the enemy would just love to try and ruin that. But guess what? He couldn't. He couldn't way back then. He couldn't uh, at the garden. He couldn't fourth and goal with seconds on the clock with just moments to spare. Herod's trying to get rid of these babies and Mary starts get, getting into those contractions and Herod couldn't stop it. The enemy couldn't stop it. The head crusher was on his way and the angels were saying, hey, it's good news. This deck of cards was stacked against them. It was complicated. But guess what? God is going to be true to what he said he would do. God is faithful like that. So you finish this whole scripture there in Matthew 2. Not when Jesus died, when Herod was dead. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, hey, okay, it's safe. They had gone into witness protection program. He says, hey, now you can take the young child and his mother and you can go to the land of Israel. 
For those who sought the young child's life are dead. This is the fourth part of the birth certificate. We had Egypt, the international destination, Ramah, the city of weeping, his actual birth in Bethlehem, and then Joseph and Mary take out Jesus as now a toddler out of Egypt. And Joseph says, you know, Mary, I was thinking instead of working here or doing that, I want to start my own business. I'm, I'm going to, what if we started a cabinet shop in Nazareth? And that would fulfill the prophecy, the complicated prophecy that the Messiah would be a Nazarene. And 30-some years later, Jesus of Nazareth would step onto the stage of human history and change everything. Change everything. Herod's simple plan was the death of Jesus. But, it, but, but we, I, I told you, God had a plan too. God's plan, God's plan. Herod was the death of Jesus. God said, hmm, here's what I'm gonna do. God said, the death of Jesus. Now I know some of you are premature. You like to fill in the blanks before I do it. You're guessing. You probably would have put the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. But God's plan was the same as Herod's plan? Yeah, but for totally different reasons. See, Jesus wasn't going to die as a baby who had no choice in the matter. Jesus wasn't going to die as, as a baby who didn't understand human life and the complications of human life except for feed me and change me and take care of me. Because Jesus, although completely divine, also un, uh, went through complete humanity in the book of Hebrews, towards the end of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 2, this explains why Jesus came. And he didn't die as a baby. He died as an adult male in his mid-30s, absolutely choosing, not just placed upon him. He chose to drink that cup. And it was the plan all along of God because there was going to have to be a time where we stopped this whole bringing this goat to this priest thing because it would never fully accomplish you trying to figure it out on your own. So Jesus comes and he becomes the substitute. He becomes the spotless lamb. He becomes the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. And Hebrews says it like this. See Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while. He took on the, the heart of a servant. He became a servant. He served us. Do you see Herod doing that? Herod clung to his throne for dear life. Jesus left his throne in heaven. Why did he do it? Why did he go lower than the angels? So that he might taste death for everyone. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. I've had people say to me, and maybe you've said it too, and maybe there's been a time or two I've said it. Nobody knows what's going on right now. Nobody knows what I'm feeling. Nobody knows what I experienced. You're saying, nobody knows what that person did to me. Nobody knows how hard I've worked. Nobody knows how hard it is to raise these kids on my own. Nobody understands why I had to do what I had to do. Nobody gets it. But see, Jesus didn't die as a baby. Jesus sacrificed himself and went through all these details to understand every detail of human life so that you, when you say, nobody understands, Jesus goes, hey, I do. I, I get it. So then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sin, he would have already experienced it all himself all the pain, all the testing. And he would be able to help where help was needed. 
God's not interested in being just a concept, a philosophy, a vague electrical force field in the cosmos. He's interested in helping you where help is needed. It's personal for him. That's why his name was Jesus, which means savior, but he has a nickname. And the nickname he was given is Emmanuel, God with us. See, you may know Jesus is the big man upstairs, but he wants you to know him by his nickname, God with me, with me. So I would be doing you a disservice this Christmas Eve if I, if I told you this part of the Christmas story and I didn't give you a couple handlebars to walk away with. Like, we all need to take next steps. And I look at myself as less of a pastor and more of a tour guide in services. I'm here and our team's here to help you take next steps in your journey of faith towards Jesus and even deeper into Christ-like convictions and conduct and character. And so I just want to end with these three thoughts. And it's like how to uncomplicate my Christmas. You can't uncomplicate grandma's Christmas. You can't uncomplicate your neighbor's Christmas. You can't uncomplicate their Christmas or this person and what they're going to bring and the baggage they're going to bring in this Christmas. But you can't uncomplicate your Christmas. You can't be responsible for your Christmas. And so I'd start by saying you got to give this. We all are trying to think of what to give this Christmas, that perfect gift that says, I had you in mind. That perfect gift that it's like, it's not too expensive, but it's definitely not too cheap. It's just the right, and it's like, it shows you, whoa, I, I value our relationship. The kind of gift that says, when I saw this, I thought of you. So what would we give Jesus? What could we give up this Christmas? Here it is, my throne. I invite you to do what Herod could not, to humble yourself this Christmas, to release the throne of your heart that has been built for one person, and, and that's Jesus. Sin separates us. Sin places us on the throne. I'm going to try and do it myself. I'm going to be as smart as God, as wise as God. And what Jesus wants to do is invite you to relinquish. He won't rip it from you. This is not a game of thrones with him. He says, if you'll surrender your throne, I'll take my place on it. But then I don't push you out into the back 40 and I don't place you as a pauper on the outskirts of the kingdom. I say, hey, come on up here on the throne. There's space for you. I want you to be a son and daughter. I'm not interested in you and being a puppet. I'm interested in you having a relationship with me. Come on, let's, let's do this together with me but you're the one that's got to give up that throne that pride that that willingness to be in charge and say okay Jesus I I surrender will you help guide me you got to hear this give that hear this and it's it's the kind of it's the kind of anthem that is given to the shepherds the lowly shepherds that night that Jesus is born in a stable the angel declares to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will bring great joy. To who people? Say it again, both locations. Who people? All people. Good people, decent people, people that haven't messed up so big, people that didn't convict, get convicted of a crime, people that you know, got, kept their nose clean, people that did a lot of good things this Christmas and gave a little extra in the Salvation Army bucket. It's to all people. All people. So what you got to hear this morning is, or today is the good news. You know how you got to give that gift that says the right thing? The good news is God so loved you. He said, I want to show them, I want to give them something 
So when I give it to you, they, they know I had you in mind. That I, that I didn't go cheap. In fact, I overspent. I spent what was required to prove to you that I love you. The good news is, God so loved that he gave his only son so that you would get your act together, you can be saved. So whoever believes in him, they don't perish. They, they, they surrender their throne and they believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that's good news. That's good news. People are, are trying to find joy, but if you'll hear the good news and you'll receive the good news, it comes with joy. Joy follows it. You, it's not like you're going to find joy and then find Jesus. L- listen to me. The good news is you can hear the good news and things will follow that will bless your life. The birth of Jesus, I'll be honest with you, is not the way I would have planned it. Probably not the way you would have planned it. In fact, I know in 2019 we wouldn't have planned it this way. We'd have baby shower and invitations and, you know, slow motion movies of the everything. We'd be having a gender reveal in the middle of Jerusalem. Ah, it's blue. Parties and showers and you name it, and bassinets and wallpaper and, and, I mean, just buying out Target for the new and coming king. We would have chosen a mansion over a manger if we, had, if we were in charge. We would have chosen a king's house instead of a carpenter's house. A worldwide celebration like a royal wedding instead of a quiet coming the tiny little town in the Middle East. Why such a lowly place? Why such a, a smelly place? Why such a dirty place? The Messiah, born in a stable? Perhaps, perhaps it's because Jesus was willing to be born in a mess to show you he's okay coming into the middle of yours. He's okay stepping into the middle of your mess, into the middle of your hurt, in the middle of your stuff that stinks. He, that's no problem for him. So hear the good news. He'll meet you right where you are. Wounds and all, regrets and all. And then you gotta look for this. That angel goes on to say, not only do I bring you good news that will bring great joy, He goes on to say, today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is what you're to look for. And I wanna tell you, people spend their lives looking for, making a difference in their life. People wanna find out their purpose in life. If I can just find out my purpose People look for the, for the next high, the next freedom, the next exhilaration, the next, the next sexual exploit, the, the next spouse, the next relationship, the next, the next promotion, the next job, the next city. You name it, people are looking for it. And in the town of David, a Savior's been born, and this is what you're to look for. Not for success. You look for a baby wrapped in a blanket, lying in a manger. So here's what you look for. This, you look for Jesus. If you will find Jesus, you don't have to look to try and make a difference. You you, you don't have to look to figure out your purpose. You don't have to look to how you get free from some stuff that's holding you back. If you know who Jesus is, he will help you find freedom. You can discover purpose. 
And then you get to be a part of making a difference with him. <laughs> it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. And Jesus, that little baby grew up 90% of his life anonymous. But he did give us three years of his life, three and a half years of power packed word and guidance and hope. And in one of those days, grown Jesus, who would a few months later go to the cross, pay for our sin. He says to a, a full house on a hillside, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? <laughs> Is your life complicated? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. People trying to find their life. But if you find him, you find life. In one of these Christmas services, I was in our prison. And I was talking to the guys and I said, guys, some of you, you can't wait. When, you, when your sentence is over, you've been dreaming about it. You're going to get on the outside of these walls and you're going to live your life. You're going you're to enjoy life again. But the recidivism rate in Texas is over 60%. Recidivism means if they were in prison and they're out, six out of 10 inmates will come back to prison. Because when you get out there and you think, I'm going to find my life and I'm going to live it up, you end up finding old friends. You end up picking up old habits. You, you, you end up going back into hangups. You end up trying to live the good life. What I said to them was, if you'll get away with him, that's who will recover your life. And you may be in this room and you're not, you've never been in prison or maybe you have. But I can tell you that maybe spiritually you're, you're imprisoned by a thought, by a hang up, by a wound, by a bitterness. And Jesus comes and he wants to set you free. You know the best news? We say it, but we're saying it wrong. Jesus, don't tell, okay, just between us, okay, between us and the other 16 services we've had. <laughs> Jesus isn't the reason for the season. What did he say? <laughs> Jesus isn't the reason for the season. You're the reason for the season. He did not come just to come. God so loved the world. God so loved you. That's why we celebrate Christmas. So let's do our survey together that we talked about in response to this message, in response to our Christmas experience. Everybody's in A, B, C, or D. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Don't fill it out until I'm done. I'm going to go through all of them, and then we're going to pray. And then when we pray, you can fill it out after we pray. Sound good? But this is a spiritual survey we do. And in just a moment, don't fill it out now, but you would, you would write A, you would circle A, um, if you're already in a real relationship with Jesus, I'm following Jesus. Now you're not perfect, you got issues, I got issues, hello. I am an A type personality who's also an A, but I've still got next steps that I have to take. And can I tell you, if you're following Jesus, here's your Christmas next step. Refresh your surrender. Refresh the relinquishment of the throne of your heart to him. Outserve your family. I know, but my, 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 my family's just driving me nuts. I'll just outserve them. They'll say, what is up with Doug? He's like, he's just so nice. Just outserve them. Be like Jesus.
If you're following him, you, you check mark A in just a moment. It, B would be if you're here, something I've said and something you felt, you, you know I need to believe in Jesus. I want to start or restart a relationship with him. It's not just about knowing about him. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And if that's you, in just a moment, we'd check mark B. We're, we, we all go astray. We're like sheep, the Bible says. So maybe you've drifted. You, you, can, you can recommit tonight. It's not about going and making things right out there. It's just believing and starting fresh. You would check C if tonight you're still considering. Not, not, not quite ready. I came in. This is fresh. I don't know. It's been a while since I've been in church. I want you to know we've designed this church with you in mind. Like we want you to consider the claims of Christ. So we, we really don't do some kind of real special service at Christmas other than adding candle lighting. We show you what we normally do on a Sunday because we want you to know we want to make it as practical as possible. The word of God is full of help. We want to help you consider making a decision. You, you check D if tonight, I, I just don't ever intend on making that decision. No thanks. Not trying to be rude, just no thanks. This isn't for me, religion, whatever, God. I, I got my own views. I want you to know I'm glad you're here tonight. Thank you for, thank you for so respectfully listening. And I would just say if you need to do honest business with yourself. And, and if that's how you feel, you need to check mark that. And we receive all these in the offering in just a minute. And I want you to know we pray for every card. And here's the prayer. We're not going to like, we're, we're not going to um, chase you down or say, you mark D on your card. But here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're simply going to do this. If you check mark, no thanks. I want you to know this is my prayer for you. Our team's prayer for you. God, if you are who you say you are, if you're really real, this next year, would you show that to them in a way that would make them just pause and say, hmm, maybe I should still consider this. That's it. And if you need help with that, we'll, we'll be here when you're, when you're ready. But right now, let's all do business with God. Would you close your eyes at both locations and bow your heads with this survey in your hand? If you're here and you, you knew, I, I need to check B tonight. I'd love to invite you into a prayer. It's not about saying it out loud. It's just believing it in your heart, and I'll, I'll be your tour guide tonight. In fact, I'm going to invite everybody to say the prayer out loud just so nobody feels alone. But if you want to invite Jesus to be on the throne of your life, you'd simply say it like this. Everybody just say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father. Yeah, that's right. Just loud, just like that. Let's say it again. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for Jesus Christ who died on a cross for me. Jesus, I can fix mistakes. I cannot fix my sin. I need a savior. And that's you. I choose you to give me a fresh start, to forgive me, to wash my sin away. It separates me. So I invite you. Take the throne of my heart. I will follow you. Thank you for not being mad at me. But loving me so much. You gave me this moment. To make things right with you. are who you say you are 
in Jesus' name.